We are continuing our series on prayer, and we come to a portion of the prayer that is really kind of an extension of last week. It's an extension of last week. If you look at verse 4, where we'll be getting most of our message today, uh, what you'll see is that it's really one sentence, it's one cohesive thought, and we broke it up into two sections. So there's going to be some overlap. Okay, there's going to be some overlap from last week. You're going to hear a little bit of what Doug said today, and then some extra other stuff today. Uh, but before we dive kind of a little deeper into this particular petition, I'd like to review a bit of what prayer is. This is a series on prayer, after all. Prayer, okay, at its core, is a desire of the heart. It is a desire of the heart to fellowship and commune with and align your will with a holy, righteous, loving, heavenly, providing Father. I want to say that again. It is a desire of the heart to fellowship and commune with and align your will with a holy, righteous, loving, and providing Father. Meaning that God is both existential and imminent. God is both existential and imminent, meaning he is very distant and yet near. He is both far and closely listening. He's very closely listening to those who are his. He's closely listening to those who belong to him, to those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ through faith. God listens intently to you. But to the unbeliever, he's just far. To the unbeliever, he's just holy. He's just righteous. He's just unattainable. But to the blood-bought child of God, he is a near and good and loving and listening father. John 1 tells us that to those who believe in his name, it is to them he gave the right to be called a child of God. So only to those who believe in Christ, only to those who have put their faith in Christ, only to those who actually put their trust and hope in him, do they have the right to say, Father, hallowed be your name. For his children, the second half of this definition of prayer is this. For his child, for his children, prayer is a tangible act of faith. Prayer is a tangible act of faith in God as the provider of what it is you need in order to accomplish His purposes, not your own. I'll say that again. Prayer is a tangible act of faith in God as the provider of what it is you, His child, his blood-bought child, it is what you need. Ask for what you need in order to accomplish what he desires for you to accomplish. In order to accomplish what he wants for you to do. It's his will, not our own. And therefore, prayer is really the posture of a very needy person. It's the posture of a very needy person. Someone without hope apart from God's help. Absolutely without hope. And this goes for both the physical and the spiritual. Prayer really is believing Jesus when he said, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. He's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about bearing fruit. If you do not abide in him, you can do nothing, he says, of any eternal value. So last week, if you'll remember, we were discussing our greatest need of all. Our greatest need of all, namely forgiveness. Forgiveness from our God. That even as his children, even as his children, Jesus tells us that we need to have our feet washed daily. Our feet get dirty all the time. Do you feel the desperation of the need for forgiveness. I mean, there, there probably isn't one person in this room who doesn't need forgiveness from God right now for something you thought, thought five minutes ago. We are in constant need. We're constantly getting our feet dirty. And as children of God, 
as Doug spoke of last week, we still need forgiveness from God, not for justification, not for salvation. Don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we have to be continuously getting saved all the time. That is not what this is about. No. No, in fact, if you're in Christ, all your sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for in the cross. He has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. And as, but as his child, your sin will put a damper, if you will, on your fellowship with your heavenly Father. It'll put a damper on it. And so, as Doug spoke last week, we are to be a people of confession. We're to be a people of confession and repentance and continuous receivers of this vertical forgiveness from God. Continuously receiving this forgiveness all the time. It's all part of your sanctification. It's all part of how God is separating you from the world and making you holy. And when we are walking in the Spirit or walking by faith or walking in the truth, is that it is then we are most useful for His kingdom, which... If your will is aligned with his, that will be your greatest desire and joy. That will be your greatest desire and joy. Today, today we're going to be talking about forgiveness from more of a horizontal perspective. More of a horizontal perspective. And like I said, it's really one cohesive thought. Namely, that if you've truly received this forgiveness from God in a, self, even in a salvific sense, and there is really no one on planet Earth that you cannot forgive. No one? Yeah, no one. There's no one on planet Earth that you cannot forgive if you have received this forgiveness from your God. And so I want to approach this text in a way that really kind of helps us understand what it is to be forgiven and therefore forgive. So what I'd like to do is read the text kind of like we always do, seek to understand the text like we usually do, and then instead of making points and defending those points, I want to begin asking some questions. You should have been given a handout, uh, and if, I think we're all out in the back. Somebody asked me, are we having a test? Yeah, Wednesday. Come Wednesday or there's going to be a test. James will ask all the questions, and I will in our group. All right? No, no tests, but... On the back of that handout, because we're going through some questions, there's going to be a lot of passages that we're going to be going through. I felt it might be easier for you, rather than flipping through your Bible uh, every five minutes, that you could just access those scriptures on the back of the page. But I want to begin asking some questions and answering them biblically with, with other passages, because I want to really help us grasp what Jesus is calling us to pray for. What fruit... What fruit is Jesus saying that we need to be asking God for here? Some of the questions I want to cover today that are on the front of your handout. What is forgiveness? What is it? Number two, why don't we forgive? And number three, why do we forgive? Or how do we forgive? Number four, what does forgiveness look like and not look like? And number five, how is Jesus instructing us to pray in regard to forgiveness? Actually, reverse that. Number five is, what is at risk if we don't forgive? And number five, what is Jesus instructing us to pray for here? How is he instructing us to pray in regards to forgiveness? So, with that said, let us pray. Let's go to God's word uh, with a posture of dependency on him. Ask God, as I'm praying, to speak to you, to open your eyes to the value and worth of Christ and give you a heart of forgiveness where you may be lacking. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the instructions we have in your word that point us to you. We thank you, God, for the gospel. We thank you, God, that by your blood, all our debt has been paid. We come to you now, God, because we're going to read your word. We're going to seek to understand your word. We're going to expound upon your word. And we're going to, by your grace, be encouraged to obey your word. And we need your help.
We recognize that apart from you, God, everything we hear today will just go in one ear and out the other. It'll land on hard, thorny soil. But you, God, can stir our hearts. You can soften our hearts. You can implant your word deep into our hearts so that we might bear fruit. We ask that you would do that in us this morning. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. First thing I really wanted us to look at here before we get to the questions is the petition itself. Verse 4 says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. As I mentioned before, the context of this prayer is that of one of a believer, Jesus is assuming that he's talking to his disciples, his believing disciples. That's why he says to call him father, like a child. This is not a continual need to be justified. This is not a continual need to be saved. But again, as we mentioned before, as we walk the Christian life, our feet will get dirty and we need Jesus to wash our feet. We need Jesus to wash our feet, as he mentions in John 13. And so with that said, just like the verse before it, in verse 3, we are to come to the Father for our provision of our physical needs. And just like that, we are to come to Him as needy. We are to come to Him as dependent. We are to come to Him as unable to provide for ourselves. We are also to come to the Father as needy for forgiveness. Do you see yourself as needy for forgiveness? In the same way, in the same way that James a few weeks ago taught on our dependency for bread. Do you find yourself coming to God dependent and needy for him for forgiveness? We do not come to God asking for forgiveness because we are mostly good. In fact, what we will see is that the way and the heart in which you ask God for forgiveness will be the way you impart it to others. You come to him with expectations of forgiveness because of somehow you have earned it. Somehow you know that you're not as bad as I, as I think, as, you, as some people say I am, but I'm just going to ask for forgiveness to kind of, you know, get my feet washed a little bit. But I'm mostly good. Of course he'll forgive me. I'm not, I'm not that bad. You come to him with expectations of forgiveness like that, then that is what you will expect of others. Earned forgiveness earned forgiveness. They have to do something. They have to do something. They have to, they have to feel like they're really sorry. I got to make sure they're really sorry. They have to show some sort of act of penance to me. Then I'll forgive them. Maybe. But our forgiveness is not earned by us. Our forgiveness is earned by Christ. Our forgiveness is earned by Jesus. And it's in this reality of unearned forgiveness. It's in the reality of unmerited forgiveness that we will, as it says in this text, of course forgive those who are indebted to us. And that's what I take this word for to mean. For of course we will do what you have so done for us. I say that because the word for can be kind of confusing. When you read it in the plain English, it makes it sound like forgive us our sins because I forgive others. Like I've earned it somehow. Like your forgiveness of me is dependent on whether or not I forgive the next person, ultimately. In Luke, here the word is shown as a present act. It's something that can be done, it's something that's being said as being done as in the present or like actually happening. And so in other words, it's not something that has, has been done or will be done. It's something that, it's like something we do. It's like something, it's like a who we are statement or a what we do statement. 
Another example of where the word for doesn't mean because is back in Luke 7, where we, we see it used in a similar way. In Luke 7, with the woman that washed Jesus' feet, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So it's the same idea. This woman did not earn Jesus' forgiveness by loving much. She demonstrated her forgiveness by loving much. So in the same way, we pray, Father, forgive us our sins, for we currently and actively demonstrate our forgiveness by forgiving others. So the question is, is what does this look like? What does this look like? Which leads us to our first question of what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Now, looking at the passage right here in front of us, the word forgiveness means let go. It means to send away. It means to remit or, or pardon. And that's kind of the word I think we'll hone in on here. It means to pardon somebody of their sin. We can see from this text, it carries the idea of it releasing from a debt, which parallels the word sin. So we see forgive us our sin as we forgive those who are in debt to us. And so we see that debt is kind of compared to sin here. So in other words, it's the pardoning of a sin against you. It is to let it go. It is to pardon a debt that is owed. So therefore, forgiveness is always costly. Forgiveness is always costly. This is why it's so hard to do. Because it will always cost you something. When someone wrongs you, when somebody hurts you, they have in some way made a debit on an account from you. They have made a withdrawal from you. They have become in debt to you, or you to them, if you have wronged them. And so forgiveness is taking that debt, is taking what they owe you, and it's essentially paying it in full. Essentially paying it yourself. Pardoning the offender. It is not counting their debt against them anymore. Where have we seen this idea? Where have we seen this idea of forgiveness as a debt paid? Colossians 2.14 tells us that you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do that? Verse 14, it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us in all its legal demands, it says he set them aside, nailing them to the cross. What a beautiful picture. That's one of my favorite verses. He took your record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. And so to pardon or to let go, it's not, gonna, it's not like burying it deep down. Like a lot of people think just forgiving somebody is just to bury it or to sweep it under the rug. That is not forgiveness. Rather, it is actually considering the debt that is owed as paid in full. It is paid in full. Which leads me to my next question. So why don't we forgive? What goes wrong in our hearts when we decide, I'm not going to forgive? Number one reason is because we value ourselves too much and God too little. We value ourselves too much and God too little. Jesus gives us an illustration in chapter 18 of Matthew. He gives us an illustration in Matthew 18 that will give us some insight into this question as well as some of the others. This is not on the back of your handout because it's a long passage, so I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, okay? It is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And the idea of this parable is that there was a, there was a master of the, of the house, and he had many servants. They were all in debt to him, and he began to call them in to collect debt, to collect his debt. He had one come in in particular that owed him, it said, 10,000 talents, which is, is the equivalent of about 150,000 years of debt. That is an unfathomable amount of debt. That is an eternal amount of debt, an impossible debt to pay back. And the man began to plead with him, and the master forgave him all of the debt. He forgave him all of the debt. 150,000 years gone, just like that. 
He turns around and finds another servant who owes him, it says, 100 denarii, which is like three months. It's like three months worth of wages. And he says, pay me my three months. And he can't do it. So he begins to choke him, and he sends him to prison and, until that man pays every last dime back. Of course, the master of the house gets wind of this, and here's what he tells him. He says, in, in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so my heavenly father, Jesus says, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So in this parable, Jesus is making an obvious comparison of the debt that is owed to God versus the debt that is between men. It's uncomparable. There's an infinite gap here. Okay, there's an infinite gap in the value of the debt against an infinite, thrice holy God and that of a finite, sinful man. The value is very, very different. This would indicate that the value, okay, listen to this, this would indicate that the value of the debt owed is in direct proportion to the person that is sinned against. The value of the debt owed is in direct proportion to the person sinned against. Our problem is that we do not understand the value and the worth of God. This is why we don't forgive. We do not understand the value and the worth of God. We don't see His holiness for what it is. We just don't. And in return, we see our debt to Him then as small. Small God, small debt, and therefore very small forgiveness from Him. In contrast to that, we see ourselves as very valuable. Oh, I'm very valuable. Someone sins against me, how dare you? Someone hurts me, how could they? What's the matter with them? We've got it very, very, very reversed. We've got it very reversed, so we don't forgive. We don't forgive because of our distortion of value. We place a higher cost on forgiving others than we should. We love ourselves too much, and we see the debt and the grace and the forgiveness offered to us as very, very little. We've got it backwards. We've got it very wrong. The other reason, the other reason we might not forgive is because we just don't trust God. We don't trust God, but rather desire to take justice into our own hands. We desire to take justice into our own hands and we have to right our own wrongs. We have to make people pay. Paul says something about that in Romans 12. Romans 12, 19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do we trust God with justice? Do we trust God with justice? God is... He is called a just God of justice, after all. He is the God of justice. And when someone wrongs you, are you able to let God be judge? Are you, are you able to allow God to rule, be the ruler of justice over them? Think about this. If the person that has wronged you is a believer, if the person that has wronged you is a believer, has justice not been met on the cross for them? Has their sin not been paid for already? What more could you add? What more could you possibly add to the justice that was met for that person on the cross? Nothing. If they are not a believer, will justice not be met in eternity? Will the God of justice not enact his just and righteous wrath on all who have sinned in this world that are not covered in the blood of Christ? Yes, of course. Look at the heart of Jesus. Look to the heart of Jesus as he goes to the cross. Or Stephen, as he is getting stoned to death by his peers. Where, what do they request of God? But Father, forgive them. How could they do this? How could they possibly say that in the midst of such heinous, unfathomable crime against the innocent? 1 Peter 2 tells us, 
Speaking of Jesus, he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do? He continued entrusting himself, Jesus, Son of God, entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He gave it all up to the Father. He knew that for those who were there that were his, his blood was going to cover their sin. And for those that were not his, justice would be met in eternity forever. He had nothing left to say. Can we trust God like that? Can we trust God like that? So then how do we forgive? How do we let go of the debt owed to us? How do we consider their debt paid in full when it feels so hurtful and so wrong? It's the opposite of forgetting, but remembering. It's the opposite of forgetting, but remembering. We remember the gospel. We remember the gospel. For, for the next two minutes, I want to slow down a bit. I want to reflect on this, some scriptures that I'm about to read. I want you to reflect on some, some of the scriptures I'm about to read. Some of you, some of you are holding on to something that has happened this morning. Harsh word, sharp tone, an angry look. Some of you are holding on to an argument from last night. Haven't let it go yet. Can't believe what they said to me. Some of you are holding on to a hurt from years ago. And you just can't let it go. You just can't forgive that person. I want to. I just, I won't. I won't. Close your eyes if you must. Close your eyes if you must. Bow your heads if you must. Remove all distractions right now. And I want you to reflect right now on the vastness and the depths and the breadths and the heights of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. As I read the scriptures, I want you to let the scriptures speak to you right now. I know that nothing my human mouth says can penetrate your heart, but the word of God promises to do so. Hear the word of God right now. 1 Peter 3.8 For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's us. Gave his life that we may have God. Romans 5.8, God shows his love. God shows his love for you. And that while you were a sinner, while you rejected God on every level, while you turned your back on him, Christ died for you. Shed his blood for you. He pierced his hands and feet for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He was innocent in every word and thought and deed and he took on all the weight of our sin and your sin. He took it all upon himself and the God says, the scripture says that it crushed him. And it pleased the Lord to crush him by putting your sin on him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He doesn't look at you if your faith is in Christ as unrighteous anymore. He sees you as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Do you get how amazing that is? Do you see it? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with his wounds, we are healed. Full forgiveness for you. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. You want to know and feel forgiveness? You want to be able to impart forgiveness? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. I don't mean just tell yourself the gospel. I don't mean just kind of think about it for like 30 seconds. I mean like preach it to yourself. Proclaim it to yourself until it's so deep in your heart and your bones that nothing else could, no one could tell you it's not true. Preach it to yourself. You must remember that it was your sin that put the infinitely valuable and holy Son of God on the cross. We deserve the wrath. I deserve the wrath. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be judged and cast out of his presence forever. We deserve to have God turn his back on us. But Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was him who was forsaken for your sake. We deserve to have every bit of our sin against a holy, infinite God paid for in an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we deserve. It is you and I who have looked to the beauty and worth and glory of God, and we have said, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that with every decision we make. Yet, yet it is you. It is you who, by God's grace, he has shown unimaginable mercy to. Placing all the weight of the record of the debt that stood against you there was a, an infinite record of debt of every sin you've ever committed that stood against you. And it says he placed it on Jesus Christ, on the cross. Jesus paid your fine and full. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. We remember the weight of the price that was paid. That's how you forgive. We remember the weight of the price that was paid and the forgiveness offered to us. And then, and then we receive it. We believe it by faith. We receive it again and again and again, day after day after day. And we feel the weight and the wealth. Hear me, the wealth of the very own forgiveness, like a spring of water springing up in your soul, constantly there for you to drink from day in, day out. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. There is no more condemnation on me anymore. And then in that lavishness, we have so much forgiveness to give that we can just lavishly give it to everyone who crumbs our way. Billions and billions and billions of dollars of forgiveness and you want to hold on to it. You want to hold on to it. When I remember the gospel, it's so easy to forgive. But when I forget, it's so hard. In Matthew 18, 27, it says that the master had compassion for the man that owed the great debt. It was out of a heart of compassion. So secondly, we just don't have enough compassion in us. This is why we don't forgive. And this is how we do forgive. Again, Jesus is pointing to a heart of compassion and love and mercy. It is a merciful thing to forgive another person. It is an act of mercy. It is loving and a compassionate heart that can see the debt on someone else and be able to empathize with them, knowing that you too were once in such great debt. You can know the weight of that debt, and in that empathy and compassion with love that has been poured out into your heart, you can release that person from their debt. You can. You can count not their sin against them. You can. 
What does it look like? What does it look like? If forgiveness is a gospel act, if forgiveness is a gospel act, and true forgiveness is rooted in the gospel, and forgiveness is the release of a debt, then it, it works itself out in making very conscious decision not to make that person pay for what they have done. You count not their sin against them. It looks like not judging or condemning a person, like casting them out of your life or casting them out of your will or desires or love. However, it is to, it, it is to show mercy. And it is to be merciful and kind as you have received it. Jesus tells us what it looks like in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. So you're supposed to love them and do good to them. Bless those who curse you. So you bless them. You pray for those who abuse you. You pray for them. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. You're long-suffering with them. You're long-suffering and patient with them. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. You're generous with them. You're generous with those who hurt you. And for the one who takes away your goods, you don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you when you sin against them, do so to them. Continues in verse 35, he says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, to you and me. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So it looks like seeking the best for a person that has wronged you. It looks like seeking the best for them. It looks like not paying back with harsh words or silent treatment. It looks like praying for those who have sinned against you or hurt you. It looks like seeking to help them when they are in need, and it looks like serving them. It looks like enduring with that person and not casting them out of your life. Colossians 3.12 says it this way. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who you are. Holy and beloved, set apart and loved by God. Put on then compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. That is, that must is in the emphatic. It's like a command. Now, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgive and forget, not possible. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean that we will forget the wrong done to us, nor does it mean that someone else will forget the wrong you've done to them. There are consequences to sin. There are natural consequences to sin. Yet, while forgiveness is not forgetting, I do believe it is part of the 70 times 7 principle. It is part of the 70 times 7 principle, meaning that when you forgive somebody, your flesh is going to want to bring it back up. You're going to be reminded of something, of that moment when they hurt you and you've already forgiven it. And each and every time your flesh wants to remember the wrong that was done, or each and every time you're reminded of someone's hurt that they've caused you, you forgive again. You forgive it again. You preach the gospel to yourself again. You remind yourself of the debt that you have been released from, and you forgive them again. But Matt... What if they keep on sinning and hurting me? What if the same person just keeps on hurting me? Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Jesus says you must forgive him. That is an imperative. That is an actual command from our king. You must forgive him. But what if they are not repentant, Matt? What if they're not repentant? Or what if they have not asked for forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is an act of your heart. 
something within, it's paying a debt, has little to do with their sorrow. It has very little to do with their sorrow. And everything to do with how moved you are by the gospel. Everything to do with how moved you are by the gospel. The idea of Luke 6, and when Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for them, the idea is the enemy is an unrepentant person. They're considered kind of an enemy of yours. They're not asking for forgiveness. They're not saying how sorry they are. But Jesus is saying, love them, pray for them, forgive them. That is the unrepentant person in Luke 6. Yes, in many cases, repentance is needed for reconciliation. For relationships to be restored, there is need to be for repentance for that in many cases. But the question is, the question is, is, is your heart so filled with the gospel that you are ready to forgive, should they ask? Is the door open or is it closed? Are you willing to love them even if they don't? Are you willing to show mercy as you have been shown mercy? regardless of whether they ask for forgiveness or not. But mad. But mad. Am I supposed to just let this person keep hurting me? That is a great question for Wednesday night. Come and discuss. But the short answer is, it depends. It depends. And in some cases, in some cases, separation may be best, but always with a heart of reconciliation always with the heart of wanting to reconcile, always unto the purpose of reconciliation. That's what church discipline is. Church discipline is not unforgiveness. Church discipline is casting somebody out as a loving discipline that they may return and repent and seek fellowship again. It's demonstrated in that. We live in a world and a culture that loves self over reconciliation, though. But Christ, our King, says otherwise. Says otherwise. And the question is, is, who will you look to for counsel? Will you look to the world or will you look to Christ? Whose example will you look to? The world's or Christ? And what did Jesus do but pursue and went after those who hated him and despised him? And that was you, and that was me. But the world says, don't take that kind of treatment from people. You don't have to take that. Jesus says, pursue them. Let them know you've been hurt. Be ready to forgive. And love them even if they never ask. We are not, hear me on this, we are not to consider anyone dead to us. It's command, I tell you this from the authority of his word. You are not to consider anyone dead to you. No one. You're not to cast anyone out of your lives forever. We cannot and should not seek to force anyone into reconciliation. That would be not right either. But we must have the door open. To close the door on any person would not be a heart of forgiveness, but a heart of judgment. It would be a heart of judgment. The heart of forgiveness never lets go of the desire for restored relationship and restored fellowship, especially amongst the body of Christ. Especially within the body of Christ. It never lets go of that desire. Last question. What is at risk? Or one of the last questions. What is at risk if we don't forgive? Fellowship? purpose, and possibly even salvation. Fellowship, purpose, and maybe even salvation. Matthew 6, verse 14, after the Lord's prayer in that, uh, in that book, in that gospel, Matthew says this, or Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Hmm. So Jesus sums up the Lord's Prayer, and he circles back around to talk about forgiveness again. And in this statement, Jesus is saying that if you don't forgive others as his child, then there will be loving and corrective discipline. Look at the words says, your heavenly father. The assumption is, you are his child. 
This is not the loss of salvation. This is a loving and corrective discipline from a heavenly father. When you sin as a child of God, it grieves the spirit. It grieves the spirit, and thus we are called to continually look to the gospel again, and again, not to be saved, but to remember God's grace and forgiveness and be drawn back to him. To be drawn back to him. But what Jesus is saying here is that if we are unwilling to forgive others, if we're unwilling to forgive others, it says a lot about what we think about God's forgiveness. And we're, therefore, we're probably not going to him for feet washing. We're not going to him for feet washing, so our feet are still dirty. And there's going to be some fellowship that is, that is hindered there. Again, your fellowship with your Heavenly Father can never be broken. Never be broken. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and listen, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that means your prayers can be hindered. Your prayer life can be hindered if you're not walking in faith and obedience and confession and forgiveness, which you won't be if you're not forgiving others. You won't be. And so if we walk in sin and unforgiveness, what Jesus is saying here is that we are forfeiting a life of closeness and deep fellowship we could have with our Heavenly Father. Back to Luke 11. Our purpose can be hindered. Our purpose is to be a people that are about the work of God. We're, about, we're to be about a, a building of his kingdom, hallowing his name, and proclaiming his great love. Let me ask. Let me ask. How will the world see? How will the world see? How will your children see? How will your neighbors see? How will they treasure the weight of forgiveness offered to them in Christ if even his own followers won't forgive one another? How will they ever see Christ's forgiveness for them if they can't see it in you? Your purpose, which is to make disciples. That is your purpose. It's very simple. Make disciples will be hindered or possibly even destroyed if you're unwilling to forgive others. You've been made new by the love of Christ. And he has given you purpose, which can be destroyed by walking in bitterness and anger and frustration. Your own joy can be destroyed by walking in bitterness and possibly even your salvation. Yes, if we are not willing to forgive if we are not willing to forgive, if we have a continuous heart of unforgiveness, it is because, and only because, you have not remembered the gospel or you never understood it to begin with. It never took root in your heart to begin with. If the latter is the case, your unforgiving heart is one of evidence that you don't know God. You don't know his forgiveness. You don't know his love. He is not your father, and he will do to you what the master did to the servant in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, again, verse 34, it says, And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers. That's not discipline, that's punishment. To the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. Jesus says, My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive his bro brother from your heart. Notice the words here are not your heavenly father, but my heavenly father. Jesus does not say your heavenly father. He says my heavenly father will do to you. The presumption here is that he's not talking to a child of God. He's talking to an unforgiving, self-righteous, self-loving, God-hating person who won't forgive anybody. So how is Jesus instructing us to pray? Now remember this series is about prayer, not just forgiveness, right? So Jesus is teaching us that the heart of prayer is dependence. The heart of prayer is dependence. We are to be dependent on him to glorify his name. We are to be dependent on him to build his kingdom and to use us to bring people into his kingdom. 
We are dependent for bread and sustenance to be able to do that. And we are dependent on him for forgiveness and feet washing. And of course, we are dependent on God through the Holy Spirit in us for a heart of forgiveness. God said, be holy as I am holy. We're never more like God than when we're forgiving someone. You're never more like God than when you're forgiving somebody else. And so we must depend on God for this. To see Jesus, as I said earlier, we must depend on God to give us eyes to see him in his word. In his word. And we must. Listen to me, as, as a body, as individuals, we must be a people of prayer. We must be a people of prayer. We must be a people that are so needy and so dependent on God to do work in our hearts that we cling to him and his word in prayer with all our might. Do not let your heart go today without seeking him for forgiveness and for seeking a heart of forgiveness. Do you want to be like God? Do you want to be like your heavenly father? Do you want to do the work that he's called you to do in this life? Do you want to do this with bitterness and anger and frustration, or do you want to let it all go? Do you want a heart of forgiveness? Plead with him. Plead with him to show you just how forgiven you are in Christ. Plead with him that he would give you that mind and eyes and heart to see just how forgiven you are. Cry out to him to show you just how much mercy you have received. And you plead and you plead and you plead until it happens. So you can feel it in your bones and you know with all your might and by faith that I am so forgiven. Keep doing it. You don't give up. Do you have an unforgiving heart? Are you holding a grudge right now? You do work with God. You do work with God this morning. You repent of that. You do that today. Put away all distractions. Put away anything that would keep you from him right now. You plead with him to help you see your forgiveness. And then receive it with faith and joy. Receive it. Receive the forgiveness he offers you at the cross, and then you watch him work in your heart. Watch him remove the bitterness and the anger and the frustration. He will do it. He's a good and loving father. Remember that as you think of the one who hurt you, justice has been made in Christ on their behalf if they're in Christ. Justice will be made by God in eternity if they are not in Christ. And their sin against you is one penny. It's one penny in, in debt in comparison to your billion-dollar sin against the holy God. And in these truths, recognize, recognize others' need for mercy as you desire mercy when you sin. Show compassion as you desire others to be compassionate with you when you sin. Be merciful as God is merciful. Trust God with the justice and forgive as your Father has forgiven you.